Hi, this is Cole Moon, and welcome to the Holiday Moons Podcast, where we share our love of the holidays with you year-round. This is Randy, and I will be continuing my All-American Summer Food mini-series. This week's topic is Corn on the Cob. This is Sydney, and I will be continuing my Summer Bucket List series with Underrated DC Museums. This is Beth, and I'm continuing my Edible Flowers mini-series, and I'm here with my mom today, and she actually ate edible flowers as growing up, so we're going to hear more from her. Very fun, and we did go to Amal's yesterday to uh, spend some time there, visit with Victor and the, the puppy dogs, and introduce Sydney's puppy dog, Noel to her cousin puppy dogs. That's right, <laughs> Zeus and Zoe. That's right. Yes. And so. she got along with them very well. Noel and Zeus were running around having a ball. So, so, and what type of dogs are Zeus and Zoe? Zoe is a Yorkie poo. Zeus is a mix. Is, is a mix. A mix. But he looks like, a he, little German Shepherdy. Yeah, he's a um, medium-sized dog. Yeah, he's not like huge like right. some German Shepherds are. Right. But he's a good. He kind has of that medium. color yeah. and the yeah. shape. But he has a fluffy tail that goes up and around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so he's really cute. Yeah. And they were playing together really nicely, so that was really fun. That um, really tired her out. Yeah, it It exhausted her. Yeah, so she slept a lot of the way back home. Yep. And how's she doing in general, since our listeners have asked? (laughs) Well, to the concerned in Texas, (laughs) she is doing fine. She has come out of her shell, so she is in full puppy mode with... Mouth first and paw second. And questions later. And questions later. We nicknamed her the little T-Rex because she just... Yeah, everything. Was mouth first. She gets into these periods of time where she just wants to chew you, yeah. not a toy, <laughs> and she leaves with an open mouth like a right. little baby T Rex. Yeah, although and it's her only... paws wave too. <laughs> yeah. They do. She goes up on her back legs, and uh, it's funny because she doesn't like go like wave one paw at a time she waves both of them at yeah. once which is even cuter really yeah it is and um, her little mouth is only an inch yeah i don't uh i don't see her a ton usually on the weekends is, mm-hmm. is when i see her but for the past like three times that i've seen her she's just gone berserk running up to me and yeah. getting yeah. super puppy excited yeah so she is doing very well yes very fun this is Memorial Day weekend, so we actually have an extra day off in celebration of Memorial Day. So we will be putting our flags out and all that sort of uh, activity in a commemoration of Memorial Day. And then this coming week, we have a visit with the Kincaids. They'll be coming up from Texas, and they're continuing activity in looking for um, places to stay and where they're going to live and all those sorts of things. So we look forward to spending time with them as well this coming weekend. Yeah, and this weekend I actually drove down from closer to the D.C. area, closer to where Sydney lives. I am staying with my girlfriend for the weekend. We are introducing our two cats to each other. We both had separate cats when we met, <laughs> so now it's the integration process, which is not quite as fun as when puppies meet each other for the first <laughs> right. time. Yeah. Cats and are much And they're all love and jumping all over Grown each other. Grown old cats. Right. Doesn't necessarily do great. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Both, both my cat Onyx and her cat Izzy are both 13. Yeah. Um, so they're both a little older. Izzy, so 
we kind of slowly integrated. We got them used to each other's scent before we had them meet. Um, and they're slowly getting more used to each other, kind of staring at each other from across the room. Onyx, my uh, cat, was handling everything really well. It was, because uh, I took her, she was out of her environment, drove an hour up, and she just explored the house, and when she saw Izzy, she just had her ears perked up and her tail perked up and kind of wandered over to say hi, but then Izzy stuck her ears back and hissed, and <laughs> everything couldn't go well. But Onyx is handling everything really well. She's not being, you know... No, well, neither are being aggressive, but, yeah, is, but Izzy she... is clearly feeling defensive. Right, right. Whereas Onyx is Which is, is normal. Not, yeah. Yeah. So, they're slowly getting closer together. Yeah. Distance-wise, not, like, friendship-wise. Yeah. Right. <laughs> not yeah. yet. Hopefully. Not, hopefully soon, yeah. So, it would be great to be able to have those two know each other. When Keely comes down to my place or when I go up to her place, we always feel bad because we're leaving a cat behind but obviously we want to be able to have the flexibility to spend time together so that's kind of the not really a holiday happening i guess it's happening over memorial day weekend because we have an extra day so that's the connection i'll make there there that's the only interesting thing going on in life right now (laughs) (laughs) well and onyx is completely deaf so she can't Mm. hear the uh Growls. The growls are, nope, yeah, it's all, <laughs> lands on deaf ears. Yeah, exactly, literally lands on deaf Literally deaf ears, yep. yeah. Well, it is Memorial Day, and I started my series kind of referencing Memorial Day as the time when we start to think about summer foods, hamburgers, hot dogs, watermelon, those are the three that I did so far. Uh, do you guys remember where hamburgers, hot dogs kind of originated from? Germany. Kind of that, yes. So Germany or Italy, those yeah. kind of those that was areas. A really good yeah. guess. Watermelon. Everything comes from Germany. <laughs> what about watermelon? Way further back, like all the way back to Egypt. Yep. Yeah. yeah, Egypt. That's right. So we have some um, all American foods that originated overseas. Uh, so this week we're going to talk about corn on the cob. So first of all, what do you think of corn on the cob? You like it? Indifferent? Delicious. Love it. <laughs> I like corn on the cob. I can't eat corn like by itself. It right. has to be in the right context be because I don't love corn. I don't love corn in things. Yeah. Or just like the little, I don't know what you call it, like kernels, gr- kernels of corn. Yeah. Um, so corn on the cob is the only context in which I like. Yeah, that's for me, that's generally the my favorite corn is corn on the cob, mm-hmm. even though it tastes pretty much the same as it does, you know, when you cook it and, and just put it on your plate. But I do love corn on the cob as well. Any idea where corn on the cob comes from? I'm assuming it comes from the Americas. Yeah, is it a New World vegetable? Yeah, so it's the first all-American summer food we have that actually originates in North America. Yeah. Yeah, so it's pretty interesting, right? So corn is one of the world's most important crops and accounts for around one-fifth of the world's total calorie intake. So it uh, spread from the Americas all around the world. But its origin was a mystery until even recent times. So we weren't sure exactly where corn came from. And it ends up through being now able to map genes and look for uh, the origins of you know species to other things. That it originates from a grass that grew in kind of southern, western Mexico. So it did originate in Mexico, which is part of North America, although... 
Some people refer to it as Central America. Yeah. It's pretty darn close to Central America, especially this part. And it looks like it came from a grass that was called teosinte, which really doesn't look anything like corn. But genetically, it's very close to corn. So they can trace it back specifically to that grass that was then bred to have the kernels grouped together. So there are actually fossils dating back around 5,000 years ago of small corn cobs. Small in that less than an inch long and very thin, but had the same kind of shape where the seeds were around a cob. Like in Asian food. Yeah, yeah, like a little <laughs> like tiny, the, little, tiny except, little except even smaller. <laughs> That's what I was thinking too. Yeah. I was like, those are always the best part of mine. So yeah. yeah. So the uh, grass that it came from, uh, they could see that there was a genetic change in corn about 5,000 years ago that caused the seeds of the grass, instead of the seeds falling away as they grew, they stuck together, right? So somebody bred the change, what we call corn now, to have the seeds kind of hold together around a central part, which later became a husk. So it's interesting that even back then, they could see that farmers were genetically breeding things together to form better things for themselves. So that's kind of interesting. And there was a question um, kind of hanging out there. Why did people even start to eat the little seeds on the grasses? And they actually think it may have been related to popcorn, that people cooked them and ate them, and they kind of, the seeds on the grasses taste very similar to the seeds in corn if you pop them. So okay. that may have been why. So That makes sense, that if someone found something new, they would tend to cook it and just see if it Yeah, see, if it, see yeah. if it worked or not, right? So corn originated in the Americas. And I always think of a commercial when I do we were too. kids <laughs> where... Um, yeah. Native Americans would come on and say, we call it maize. Right. Right? Yeah. Uh, so actually, all corn in all of the world originated from that specific area. Interesting. Yeah. So it wasn't like one of those things where it bred lots of different places. It really bred primarily in that uh, specific area. It was used by Native Americans for many years to make um, lots of different types of food, including dumplings, tamales, hominy. There was a ceremonial wedding cake. The Iroquois were known for making things like grits and hush puppies, ash cakes, uh, muffins, crackling bread, johnny cakes. So just lots of different types of foods. Oh, muffins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but one of the interesting things in North America, only 15% of corn is actually eaten by humans. The remainder feeds livestock or is used for products such as paper or even gunpowder. Uh, one of the things I thought was interesting that the Native Americans knew that we are only, um, I'd say in recent years, just realizing is that they, plant, they planted corn, beans, and squash together to form something called the Three Sisters Garden. And they have a legend in some of the Native American heritage about the Three Sisters Garden, uh, about being ones who sustain them. They live together in these fields. Well, interplanted gardens like this have ecological advantages that one crop fields do not. They, they themselves, by planting them together, automatically do soil regeneration. They vary the nutrition to a pest and to disease. So I thought that was interesting. It is interesting. interesting. Now, we also talked about in previous episodes for summer foods about food eating contests related to those food. And there actually is a national sweet corn eating championship. That's very specific. Can you imagine that? No. no. Yeah, that sounds Eating <laughs> sweet corn on the cob no. for speed and quantity. 
That sounds not fun. That would destroy my inner work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> true. So in the most recent event that I could find, which was 2019, actually, I think there's one in 2021, but the results were pretty similar, so I'm going to go with the 2019 one. A guy named, and they refer to him as the great Gideon OG, ate 57 ears of Florida sweet corn in 12 minutes. 12 Yes, 12 That's minutes. Crazy. 57 in 12 minutes. The second place finisher finished with 43 corn. Wait, uh, 57. Ears. 57. That's almost five corn, like, Cobs? corns on the cob a minute. That's crazy. I wonder, like, what they're, how they do it. Watching how, like, people who eat hot dogs or anything with yes, bread, right. they have a cup of water and they basically dip it in the water. And that helps to get it down faster. Right, but they're really almost swallowing those things whole. Yeah. yeah. Here, I think, you have to actually eat it there's like off because yeah. it's on the cob. Yeah, but I just wonder if there's... Like, tricks. There's, like, tricks. there's got to be, that. right? Yeah, 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 I 100% yeah. agree. There's got to be some. I didn't like go to YouTube and watch this thing because yeah. it sounded a little gross to me. So, <laughs> yeah. But feel free as the listener if you want to go <laughs> you know, do that. Um, the other thing I thought was interesting about corn is that the way you eat corn of the cob reveals everything about you everything wow okay like what okay so do you eat straight across the cob or around in circles for this you will be around in circles for this you will be judged (laughs) (laughs) isn't it what the world is around in circles yeah isn't that kind of like saying somebody eating a cat cat just like a regular chocolate bar versus (laughs) right we don't don't do that judgment yeah we don't eat judgment (laughs) here some of us might eat Kit Kat That's bars right. like normal chocolate bars because it's a chocolate bar. <laughs> so, so you're yeah. eating it wrong. first and then your cereal? And I don't think there's any scientific proof of this. They didn't reference any scientific That's proof. Funny. But if you eat your cob straight across like a typewriter, chances are you're pretty stable. You fold your clothes when you put them away. You own a golden retriever. You generally can be counted on to pick up your spouse at the airport on time without challenging anyone in the parking lot to a cage match. You're eating corn the right way, the way almost everyone does. Wait, so if you eat it the other way, does that make you a, a psychopath? Let's find out. So now, if you eat after your first bite in a circle going around, so you're basically columns instead of rows around your corn in the cob, it's a clear indication you could go rogue at any minute. <laughs> you are a wild child, maybe even an artist. You're basically immoral and everyone knows, everyone watching you knows it. <laughs> You have parking tickets, unpaid parking tickets, <laughs> and he probably drank kombucha when everyone still thought it was poisonous alien life form. Okay, there's one other type of corn in the cob eater. That is the spot eater. So that is like I saw a picture of it. Oh yeah, and it's like randomly eating little chunks. <laughs> so what so, are they like? So if you are if you eat your corn in a nonsensical pattern. You're giving a warning sign to everyone around you. One bite here, one bite there, another bite over on the other side until your corn looks like a meth mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This is supposed to be a family-friendly podcast. <laughs> yeah, so, so you, just you eat are psychotic, yes, if you eat your, your food that way. Oh, that's so one thing, there was a couple myths about corn I thought I would address. One, eating corn will make you gain weight. So, okay, if you load your corn on the cob up with butter and high-calorie toppings, yes, okay, you could get a lot of um, calories out of that. But one plain 
ear of corn has about 100 calories, similar to an apple, and about 3 grams of fiber, which is good for you. It also has the slow-to-digest type of carbohydrates that's been shown to help with weight control. So, you know, it's really kind of, to me, it's kind of like popcorn. Like, what you put on it is what makes the difference. Right. Um, that's interesting. I've never heard the myth that corn makes you gain weight. I think because it's a sweet mm-hmm. vegetable, and I hear a lot of times people say, oh, that's just like carbohydrates. Yeah, it does have carbs in it, but it's the good carbs. Because remember, we were going through this whole phase where all carbs were bad, and then they realized, well, wait, there's actually good carbs and bad carbs. Right, yeah. and I've always thought of the corn as being the bad ones. Yeah. So that's a myth. That's interesting. Yeah. The other myth is sweet corn is high in sugar. Okay, so yes, corn is sweet. For a vegetable, <laughs> but there are only six grams of natural sugar in a medium-sized ear of corn, so it's not filled with sugar. Beets have more grams of sugar per serving than corn. For all you beet lovers out there, <laughs> I didn't see any other comparisons. It just compared to beets. For some <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I don't know. You got one vegetable to compare it to. Yes. Some other things I thought were interesting was, you know, how do you shop for corn? So Beth, how do you shop? Like, what do you do when you look for corn? I open the corn husk. To make sure that the corn is to the top and and even rows. And then I just take the husk off at the store and throw it in the place that they have. They now have like a big garbage bin for husks. And I take the corn itself and put it in a bag and just do that with each one. But I make sure that I look at it first because sometimes it can look not great. Mm -hmm. So according to the articles I read, that is good if you're going to cook it right away. Right. But typically they say you don't need to pull back the husk to look at the kernels inside because exposing the corn to air causes it to dry out quickly and shortens its shelf life. So if you're going to hold it for longer, they said instead just look at the outside, the husk itself. So it says, you know, obviously avoid husks with small brown holes because that's a sign of insects. Look for green husks that are tightly wrapped around the cobs. And, you know, kind of feel firm when you hold them. So rather than pull it apart, if you're not going to cook it right away, you can actually bring it home and store it. If you put it in a plastic bag and you wrap it tightly, you can refrigerate it for up to three days. Yeah, and I know somebody who actually cooks with the husk on. Yeah. And they said that the silk threads and everything just fall right off. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And there are there are different recipes for that. Mm. And the one that you're talking about, I think, is a microwave recipe. Yeah. And I've heard that one, too. Yeah. Then you just cut off the end when you're done and squeeze it right out. Yeah. 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 Speaking of the silk, do you know how many silks there are on a corn cob? Uh, is 30. There, 30? I'm, 30? <laughs> I'm guessing. Is there a certain number? There is the exact number of silk as there is corn kernels. Oh, really? There's one so how for many, each. How many corn kernels? Are I didn't. I don't oh. know. So <laughs> that that does vary. That does vary. Yes. yes. But great. My guess was going to be 10. I was just spitballing. So. That's so funny. I was going to say 300. Yeah. <laughs> I think you might have been closer. closer. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so in looking it up quickly, it can vary from 500 to 1,200 kernels of corn, average being about 800 kernels for a medium-sized corn. Piece of corn. Wow. So that's 800 silks yeah, on exactly. average. That's right. crazy. That's, that's why they get everywhere. And it yeah. just took one to open up a KFC. Right. <laughs> so wait, thank you for wait, what? getting <laughs> kernels. I uh, got it. <laughs> that's funny. Now you actually can uh, eat 
or use the silk in food. So you can make uh, corn silk tea, which is very popular in China, Korea, and other Asian countries. It has lots of good nutritional properties to it. You can fry it, and they do this in some restaurants where they fry it, and it kind of looks like a nest, and you put a poached egg in it, ah. but it's all edible. So that was, that's interesting. Or you can actually dry it out and use it for decoration. Mm. You can use the cobs themselves, actually, for um, different things. You can use them to make soup. You can use them... Used um, cobs, you mean? After you've eaten the corn? Yeah, so after you've... Say you take the corn off, the corn yeah. kernels off, you can use them to create stock, like a different... Like a corn stock. Mm. Oh, okay. Or you can let them completely dry out. And if you let them completely dry out, you can use them instead of charcoal, the cobs. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting, too. So, a lot of different options for husks as well. You can use them like banana leaves where you use them as wrappings when you cook around some food. You can obviously use them to make tamales. Um, one thing I thought was interesting, if you keep the husk on, you can grill corn on the grill with the husk on. So it's said to leave the whole corn cob in water for 10 minutes you know, with the husk on before grilling. And that keeps the husk from burning. But it gives it more of a different kind of flavor, like a juicy kind of flavor. Hmm. Hmm. It. So yeah, I thought that was interesting too. So a lot of interesting recipes out there for quarter the cow, and it's a good, fun summer food. It is. Another fun thing to do is visit museums over the summer. So here are a few underrated museums and galleries in Washington, D.C. The first is the African American Civil War Museum. More than 200,000 African American soldiers and sailors fought in the Civil War. At the African American Civil War Museum, these individuals are remembered through photography, newspaper articles, replicas of uniforms, and a memorial. The second is the National Arboretum. Take a walk on the wild side by stepping away from the city life and journeying through one of the district's most beautiful gardens. As a living museum, the National Arboretum features more than just trees and flowers. It also offers a look at the original columns of the Old East Portico of the U.S. Capitol. Third is the Dumbarton Oaks Museum. This 1801 federal-style estate in Georgetown serves as a house museum. It boasts Byzantine and pre-Columbian collections and features a variety of tapestries, furniture, and artwork. It also supports scholarly research. Another one is the IANA at Hillier. This cozy DuPont Circle art gallery is hidden in an alley behind the Phillips Collection. Composed of three separate rooms and run by international arts and artists, a nonprofit, it offers contemporary artwork and events. And I have to say, the building looks pretty cool. It looks pretty schnazzy. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very artistic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It does look like a building you could pass by a million times and not necessarily know what it was. Yes. <laughs> so agreed. you'd have to really look it, look it up to make sure you're finding it. Right. So this is behind the Phillips Collection. What is the Phillips Collection? The Phillips Collection is just a couple blocks from the DuPont Circle Metro Station and is the nation's first museum of modern art. Some of the roughly 3,000 works in its collection are by well-known artists such as Vincent Van Gogh and Renoir? Renault? Renoir? 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 Is that how you say it? I'm probably botching the name, but look it up. It looks very interesting. 
It also looks like a building that I could pass by. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, when you think about museums, I'm thinking about the like, the Smithsonian's, like the huge, yes. obvious buildings. And these are some of like, the smaller ones that are interesting, but, you know, yeah. you might just walk by as yeah. you're walking to the Smithsonian's. I would never have guessed that that had a Van Gogh sitting in it. It yeah. looks kind of like, it could be an office building. Right. You know, it just looks like a, a little more plain. Yeah. Another is the Mansion on O Street. The Mansion on O Street is a sight to be seen. Throughout the three connected DuPont Circle row houses comprising the mansion, there are themed rooms, so that reminds me of Disney, (laughs) (laughs) all sorts of artwork, secret doors, and even guitars signed by stars like Eric Clapton. And this also looks interesting. Like, theme rooms are, like, elaborate and interesting. and um, Interesting, yeah. Yeah. So that might be something fun, too. Go look at. Another is the Mary McLeod Bethune Council House. So, okay, that's a mouthful. Yes. This Logan Circle House hosted the first headquarters of the National Council of Black Women, NCNW, an organization that works to reduce racial, class, and gender discrimination. The building also serves as the last home of Mary McLeod Bethune, an education advocate who became the highest-ranking African-American woman in the federal government in 1935. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I thought that was very impressive. Yeah. And there are many more, like the Old Stone House. Behold. (laughs) There's like a million Old Stone Houses. (laughs) (laughs) Behold, the oldest unchanged building in the nation's capital, dating to before the Revolutionary War. When it was originally built, it was both a home and a shop. For a cabinet maker, Christopher Lehman. The house reopened as a museum in 1960, offering visitors a glimpse at pre revolutionary architecture and furnishings. Museum is free. Nice. Yeah. And yes, it also looks like a plain stone home. Yeah, that definitely looks like an older place that might have some kind of museum associated with it. Yeah, 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 definitely. Now, on this list, and this is from dc.curb.com, there are some that I would debate whether or not they're underrated or not. Like, the National Geographic Museum. I would think that that would be pretty obvious and popular. Another is the Smithsonian National Postal Museum, which I have heard good things about. Another is the National Building Museum. So the National Building Museum highlights innovation in architecture and design. So when you walk in, there's actual, like, huge columns and architecture of buildings all throughout the museum. So I thought that was pretty cool. I've heard of that one before. I think mm-hmm. I must have heard about it on an architectural podcast I was listening to. Yes. The Octagon Museum is in Foggy Bottom. And it just... The name is octagonal? hilarious. Octagonal? Is it very octagonal? Yes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and it also has the Belmont Hall Women's Equality National Museum. It also has like the Holocaust Museum. Oh, we've been there. Yeah, that's very popular. So I'm not. Yeah, sure this it is like on the list. really. You have to get a ticket to get into that thing. Yeah, it's very, right. Of course, the one time we went was like on Holocaust <laughs> like, Remembrance Day. Yeah, we yeah. So no and we didn't realize that, and it was it was crowded. It was yeah. packed. Yeah, it, it was, was packed. like crazy. But it's but a it was great so museum. interesting. Oh my goodness! It's one that it would be hard to go through a second time, but you should go through it once at yeah. least once, and then yeah. get ice cream immediately after. Yeah, that's what we yeah, did. Because it is pretty intense. <laughs> it is yeah. intense, but. But it's, but it's such a good thing to go through and see. Yeah, and absolutely. see, absolutely. Yeah, so take a look at these museums or 
or look up more museums. Smithsonian's are always fantastic. I do highly suggest the Holocaust Museum in DC in particular. And let us know your thoughts. The thing I learned from this topic, Sydney, is that there's a lot of small museums mm -hmm. that we haven't been in, certainly in the DC area. But if you're not in DC, you're living closer to some other city or some kind of medium-sized town, there are probably a number of small museums in right. your area that are worth looking up. Yeah, right. definitely. Yeah. It would be interesting to know if the Arboretum has edible plants in it. And I'm guessing it does. Because there are a lot of edible plants out there. They probably don't encourage people to eat their no. plants. Right. No, I'm guessing they, you should not go to the Arboretum for a snack. <laughs> If you did your research ahead of time, it's all free game. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. With my Edible Flowers mini-series, during the last podcast, I talked about some spring flowers. And in that, I talked about dandelions and said that my mom, that I remembered my mom saying she ate dandelions at, when she grew up. Well, we just happened to have mom here. The kids call her Amma, so Amma. Hello, um, Amal. Hello. Hello, everybody. I love being here. We made and her say that. <laughs> <laughs> She's not being held against her will. <laughs> and I would like you to tell our listeners more about growing up and eating dandelions. All right. As a child, yes, we did grow up eating dandelion. In the spring, it was the best time. You get it really early in the spring because that's when it's tender. So my It's also when it's sweet. Yes. And so my mom and probably daddy would go out and gather up this big bunch of dandelion because there were a lot of us in the family. So when you say gather up a big bunch, do you mean they took the greens and the stems and the flower, all of the plants? Or is it just the leaves? Or just the leaves? You no, know, they, they brought the whole plant. Okay, mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah, and did get it as close to the ground as they could, and they would just bring it, bring the plant, the whole, the thing. whole plant. Yes. Okay. And was it mostly yard from a field, from a meadow? Like, what? Where did you get them? Do you think? But well, it wasn't the front yard. That's for sure. I think Daddy went out around, like you said, like in the meadows and stuff like okay. that, and to find it. Now at home, we do have a lot of dandelion growing in the yard. But my kids never grew up to appreciate it. Yeah. And most kids didn't. No, no, no. This is no. definitely, I think, it could be regional. It could be generational. could be both. Yeah, I grew up, uh, I remember in Ohio being taught that dandelions were edible. And me and my best friend across the street, who I've mentioned in other podcasts, uh, a little girl that she and I were best friends, we ate dandelions from somebody's yard, probably her yard. <laughs> And it was the leaves, and we weren't really that impressed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But we weren't really doing anything with them other than basically munching, grazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Literally. <laughs> yes, exactly. So you were one of seven siblings. So did do you remember all of your siblings eating and or liking them? I'm sure, Mom, as long as she was able, and Daddy were able, that we all did actually have the dandelion and my sister actually still makes it and she's older she's the oldest of all of us so she still makes it and she actually brought me some of the dressing out and it was so good it's not hard to make at all usually you use like about five pounds of white potatoes peeled and cubed and then you boil that in in salt water and to make the dressing for the dandelion itself you use one pound of bacon one pound of dandelion greens one medium onion 
one egg lightly beaten, one half cup white vinegar, one tablespoon of white sugar, one tablespoon of all-purpose flour. And this is where you mix so much of the stuff together to make the thickening that you put over the dandelion. The dandelion you don't cook. The dandelion is dry, like if you were tossing a salad. Mm. Okay. So okay. the dandelion is like that. And I think you said that you boil the potatoes and then you put the dandelion on top of the potatoes and then put the sauce on top of that. Yes, yes. Okay. So uh, you place your bacon in a large deep skillet, cook over medium heat until evenly brown, remove the bacon and drain on a paper towel. Set aside the pan with the bacon grease because you're going to use it. Okay. In a large bowl, gently toss together the dandelion greens and onion. So this is just the greens or is this... The, the dandelion greens, yes. Like the okay. leaves. Can the flowers be used in this too? Did you use the flowers no, in it too? No, Mom never used the flowers in that. Oh, okay. No. Interesting. No. So you, you gathered to... them all up because it was more convenient Actually, to... I think what they did, when they gathered the dandelion, it was very, very young mm-hmm. before it was able to form the flowers. Okay. Oh, yeah. okay. Because that's when it's the more tender. And they're they're mm-hmm. they're less bitter. Yes. Because yeah. we learned that last podcast. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you kind of got a tighter window to go out and get them yes right yeah Yeah, you have a very short period of time to get it in a small bowl whisk together the egg the vinegar and the sugar season with salt and pepper stir the egg mixture into the skillet with the warm bacon grease mix in the diced bacon and flour and whisk for about one minute till thickened to the consistency of a salad dressing pour at once over the dandelion and toss to coat serve with greens over the potatoes Okay. And that's, and it is, it is I, I remember, I just, I loved it. Yeah. I don't really, and this is the one thing, I'm glad I found this recipe because it was the one thing I never learned how to cook when mom was doing it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. so is it filling? Because you got potatoes. Yes. Yeah, so it's yeah. pretty filling. Yeah. yeah. Interesting, yeah. Now, as soon as you mentioned bacon, I'm thinking, well, you could cook anything with bacon and it would be good. Right, yeah. <laughs> you can go to the grocery store and buy endive and make it the same way. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Yes. And that's, of course, when you grow up with something like that, it's kind of a comfort food, too. Yes. So it's, yeah. and you know a lot of what your parents made. How to make it. So it's interesting. This is one of the things that you didn't, but your older sister makes it. Yes, she still makes it. That's nice. Now, would that have been like your, a side dish for dinner or your main dish for That'd dinner? That would be main, the main meal. The That's main what meal. it sounds okay. like with yeah. potatoes and bacon yeah. and yeah. Yeah. all, yeah. That, all of, that. That was very yes. dense, but good. Yeah. 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 Well, that sounds like a lot of fun, Mom. Yes, it was. It was. Thank you for letting me share that. And if any of you listeners go out there and make it, and Let try us it. know how it is. Let us know how it is. Although or, you went past the point probably... This well, year. It depends on what yeah. region you live in. Order. Just let us know if you go out and like Dad did, you graze on... Not as good. Not as good. Yeah. No, wouldn't give you it... might want to take a salt shaker. Um, out, of, out of five stars, what would you give it? I'd give it um, two. Because two? at least it was edible. Uh, that's true. That's yeah. true. I didn't die from it. It was not poison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I ate more questionable things All than right, that. Probably. So, grazing uh, dandelions, two out of five stars. Yeah, yeah. Would not recommend. I don't it. give a lot of fives either, though, so it's a really tight window in there. That's true, but you're not as stingy as Sydney is with that's true. high that's ratings true. for things. That's true, she is very stingy. But for, but for Emma, it sounds like it's a five out of five. Well, not the grazing. 
Necessarily. Right. <laughs> the recipe version. The recipe version. The recipe might be a five out of five. Yeah. Like four what do they yeah. call it? What's the title of the dish? What did you guys call it? Dandelion dish? What did you... Hey, yeah. Mama, we're going to have what? We're going to have dandelion tonight, kids. Oh, so you just called it <laughs> yeah, dandelion. Yeah, and hey. I remember you saying saying we ate dandelions growing up. It wasn't like cream dandelion. It wasn't anything like that. It was just right. dandelion. It was yeah. just assumed that you wouldn't walk down and just draw <laughs> dandelions would be on your, <laughs> your plate. <laughs> Some of us might not assume that. <laughs> no, that's funny. Very fun. So thanks for participating, Emma, and yes. sharing a little bit of your past with us as well. Maybe this week while you're here, you can make some... Da- oh, well, too late. Too late. Yeah. <laughs> too late. Dandelions aren't tender anymore. Nope. Um, I do have one thing that I was thinking. Did you have to eat them immediately, or could you... Would they Store. stay over time if you had gathered a bunch up? Well, I'm sure you could have probably put it in... Like a plastic bag, you keep it in the refrigerator like you would lettuce or anything like for that. For a little while, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. that would... never happened because no, whenever you... they were making I mean, because I come from a large family. Yeah. So this fed a, a lot of... So you got them it. and you yeah. ate yeah. them. Yeah. 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 Which is probably the best way to do it. Yeah. yeah. Get them fresh. Yep. And if anybody hears squeaking, that is little Noelle with her squeaky frog. <laughs> in the other Telling room, us yeah. to wrap it up. <laughs> that's right. That's right. She wants this thrown. <laughs> Our future festivities are for the week of June fourteenth. June fourteenth is National Flag Day. June fifteenth is Nature Photography Day. June sixteenth is National Fudge Day. Favorite fudge? Peanut butter. Peanut butter. Peanut butter. You're peanut butter. Peanut butter. Oh, well, I guess we're all consistently peanut butter. June seventeenth, National Apple Strudel Day. So those two days are not good for your diet. June 18th, International Picnic Day. June 19th is Juneteenth. And June 20th is the first day of summer. You can follow us on social media. We are on Twitter at Holiday underscore Moons. On Instagram, we are at Holiday Moons. On Facebook, you can search for Holiday Moons in the search bar. We have a Facebook group and a Facebook page. And you can email us at any time at HolidayMoons at gmail.com. So for Cole... Randy, Sydney, Emma, and Beth. Happy June!